that you knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea. And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This I say, lest any man beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the Spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Boy, you know the apostles really telling us some things. I hope, I hope we're not just going through a routine and reading some verses here tonight. But I hope that you hear what he's telling you. Rooted, built up, established. Do what you've been taught. Do it with abundant thanksgiving. Then he says in verse 8, Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him, that is Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Can I not get at least one amen on that verse of Scripture? Let me read it again. For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You better believe that. After almost 14 years, you better believe that. And you are complete in Him. Which is the head of all principality and power. In whom also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. Amen. That all important verse that is so key to everything that we believe as oneness apostolic people. Colossians 2 and 9. Can you quote it with me? For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Do you believe that tonight? Not in Him dwelleth one third of the Godhead. Not even in the Godhead dwelleth Christ. But in Christ, all the fullness. Everyone say all the fullness. Everyone say all the fullness. Everything that we know about God. Everything that God possesses. Everything that God is, everything that God does, all 
all of the fullness of the Godhead dwells in the body of Jesus Christ. So tonight I'm going to try for a few moments to preach to you from this simple thought, all the fullness. Would you say that with me? All the fullness. I want you to get that in your mind because that is crucial to what I want to convey to this church tonight. Amen. Let's put our Bibles down. Let's lift our hands, lift our voices, lift our hearts and our spirits to God right now. Let's talk to Him. Let's ask Him to talk to us tonight. Can we do that? Everybody, let's talk to the Lord. name. Let's love him one more time, everybody. Come on, let's love the Lord. Let's love the Lord. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Are you glad you know all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in him? Amen, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Uh, I want us to go immediately to the book of John, chapter 14. In fact, if you'll just turn your Bibles there. This is Thursday night. This is supposed to be Bible study time. Uh, This may be a little bit of teaching, a little bit of preaching. I don't know exactly how it's all going to come out tonight. But John, chapter 14, and we're going to begin with verse number 7. And uh, let's read what the Bible says. Jesus is speaking here. This is on the night of his betrayal. Uh, He is with his disciples in the upper room. And here's what he says to them. Nothing there. All right, try again. Grab one of those other mics. We'll get this together. I don't know what's happening, but we'll figure it out. If you had known me, You should have known my father also. And from henceforth, you know him and have seen him. Are you going to help me tonight? You know, the devil really doesn't want me to preach what I'm about to preach here tonight. So so let's come together. All right, read, read, read. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the father, and it sufficeth us. Now, Now, Jesus has just made the statement to his disciples, from this time forward, you know him and have seen him. You've seen, he's talking about the father. You've seen the father. That's what Jesus said. Philip is scratching his head. And so he says, verse 8, 
Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and Lord, it suffices us. Lord, show us the Father, and we'll be satisfied. Read. Jesus saith unto Jesus him. Jesus said to him. Have I been so long now, time with you? what was the question at hand? The question was, we want to see the Father. We've listened to you for more than three years now. Preach about the Father. You're always talking about the Father. But I want to see Him. That's the request. And the answer is, have I been so long time with you? And yet hast thou, not, yet known hast me, thou not known Philip. me, Philip. He that has seen he me. That has seen me. Hath seen the Father. Hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou how then? Sayest show thou us then, the Father. Show us the Father. Now listen, Jesus didn't say, He that seen me has seen a representation of the Father. He didn't say, He that seen me has seen the qualities of the Father. He didn't say, He that seen me has seen the characteristics of the Father. He said, Philip, when you've seen me, you have seen the Father. This is all the Father you're ever going to see. Now he goes on to explain it in verse 10. Here's what he says. Believest thou not that I am in the Father? I am not sitting beside the Father in the Holy Trinity. He said, I am in the Father. And the Father in me. And the Father, not is sitting beside me, but is in me. The words that I speak, the words that you, I speak to you, I speak not I'm of not myself, speaking those words of myself, but, the that but it's the Father me. that what? Now get this church, this is important. I'm not going to preach a oneness message tonight, though I've got to lay the foundation. Stay with me. Jesus said, it's the Father that what? The Father that is living inside of me. The Father that inhabits this body. He's the one that does the works. Amen. This is so crucial to an understanding of the Godhead and of what I want to preach to you tonight. And that is that God was in Christ. Not two different persons sitting beside each other. But God was in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, To wit that to wit God was that in Christ. God was, it's just what I'm telling you tonight, church, that God was in Christ. Reconciling, reconciling the world, unto the world Not unto themselves, but unto Himself. There's only one that we're being reconciled to, and that's God the Father. He's the one that's drawing us. He's the one that's bringing us. But the way He's doing it is through the temple He dwells in, Jesus Christ. I, I just recently spent four weeks teaching on the Godhead. And so I'm not going to go back and rehash everything we learned there. But there are some things that we have to, to realize to get the point of where I'm going tonight. First of all, we've got to comprehend the dual nature of the man, Christ Jesus. That he was both God and man wrapped up in one. He wasn't half God and half man. He was fully God. And yet he was fully man. We believe that? As 
God, he could walk upon the waves of the sea. But as man, he rode in the ship. At any point, he could speak as God or he could speak as man. Because of his dual nature. Because the fullness of the Godhead was dwelling in him at any point. And that's why as we get to reading through the scripture, people think they find two different persons. Amen. But that's not what's going on. What we find is a differentiation between the humanity of Christ and the divinity that resided within him. We understand that when you talk about the Son of God, we're talking about that which was born of Mary. Luke one thirty five. let's just throw these scriptures in here while we're at it. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also, Therefore also that holy thing, that holy thing which shall be which born shall of thee, be born of thee shall Mary, be, shall be, called the, Son shall of be God. called the Son of God. That which was born of Mary was the Son of God. That's why we don't believe she was the mother of God. She was not the mother of God. She was the mother of the Son of God. The Son of God is that which was born of Mary. The humanity, the flesh, that's the Son of God. But the Father is a spirit. Amen. I, I didn't, I, again, I, I don't have time to reteach this lesson, but all of this is important. John 4 and 24, Jesus said, God is a spirit. He didn't say God's a trinity. He didn't say God is three persons. He said God is a spirit. That's the way we understand God. That's the way we look at God. We don't call God a person. That's an insult. God's not a person. God's a spirit. And He's a spirit that fills the universe. Now, that's why we have no problem with verses like John 14, 28. Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If ye loved me, ye would rejoice, because I said, I go unto the Father, uh-huh. for my Father is my greater Father than I. is greater than I. I don't have a problem with that verse at all as a oneness apostolic. And you shouldn't either. I'm going to tell you, that is more problematic for a Trinitarian. Because a Trinitarian believes that there are three persons who are co-equal. They believe the Father and Son are equal with one another. But you can't be equal and have one greater than at the same time. And the Bible didn't say my Father is equal to I, or my Father is equal to me, or that I am equal to my Father. He clearly said the Father, which means the Spirit, is greater than I. He's speaking as a man. He's saying the Spirit is greater than the flesh. That's simple enough. It's not two persons. Amen. That's why I don't have a problem with Mark 13, 32. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man. No man. No, not the angels angels which are in heaven. Neither the Son, Son. but the Father. Again, this is more of a problem for a Trinitarian than it is for me. Trinitarians say they are co-equal. But you can't be co-equal if one knows more than the other. They're not co-equal. The Father's greater than the Son. Because the Father is the Spirit. The Son is the flesh. The Spirit is always greater than the flesh. The Spirit knew things the flesh didn't know. Jesus didn't know the day of His return based on the flesh. But I want to tell you something. The Spirit living in Him knows exactly what day He's coming back.
You know, again, you just have to understand there were times he acted as a man, times he acted as God. As a man, we find him sleeping. But as God, he never slept. The Bible says, he that keepeth Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. Psalm 121. Never slumbers and sleeps. As a man, we find him praying. But as God, he said, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. As a man, he prayed, but as God, he answers prayer. It's not two persons. Distinction between flesh and spirit. Amen. And you, if you make that distinction, you don't have any problem. That's why. Read again John 14 and 10. Read that verse for me again. That's why he said what he did. Believest thou not that I am in, I'm the, in father, the Father? And the Father the fa- in me? He said, I'm in the Spirit and the Spirit's in me. The words that I speak and unto the words you, that I'm speaking to you, I, speak not I didn't myself, come up with them by my carnal mind. The, I didn't come up with them with human ingenuity. But I am speaking, amen, based on what the Father that dwelleth in me, He's the one that's telling me what to say. He's the one that's performing the miracles. It's not this flesh that's doing it, but it's the Spirit that dwells in me because the fullness of God. Listen, that's why He could walk up to a leper and put His hand on him and they'd be healed. Because the fullness of God was dwelling in that body. That's why he could make a ball out of spittle and mud and put it in the eye of a blind man. And the blind man could see because the fullness of the Godhead was in that body. The flesh didn't possess power. In and of itself. But the spirit that was dwelling in him. Possessed unlimited power. That's why he said what he did in Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them saying. All power is All right, given now, unto do me. We, do we believe every word of the Bible? I, I mean every word. Not just every verse but every word. Then we believe that all power. Is given unto me in heaven and in earth. All. Everyone say all. That doesn't exclude any, does it? He didn't say, I share all power. But he said, all power is mine. I have all power. If there's two other people up there, they're powerless. Because he's got it all. But listen, he wasn't speaking as a man. That was the spirit that was indwelling him. It was the... God of heaven that dwelt in that human form that was speaking. That spirit has all power because God was in Christ. Christ was the dwelling place of God at that moment. Are you hearing me? It wasn't just a prophet that walked into uh, Nazareth. It wasn't just a prophet that walked into Capernaum. It wasn't just a prophet that stopped the procession of a widow. Amen. When her son was dead. It wasn't just a prophet that walked into the home of, of Jairus. Amen. And took the hand of that 12 year old girl. It wasn't just a prophet. But I'm telling you, it was God that walked into that house that day. The fullness of God stepped into that situation. That's what Mary and Martha failed to realize. Lord, if only you'd have been here. But listen, he said, I want you to understand something. I am the resurrection and the life. It's God. It's not me. But I'm telling you, now that I'm here in this graveyard, God has arrived on the scene. 
No. Jesus Christ, the man. The man. The man, Christ Jesus, was the dwelling place of God at that moment. Not, and, and, and again, I don't, have, I don't have time to teach all this. You can't take all of the quantity of God and put it in one human body. Because God fills the universe. So, so somebody said, well, was heaven empty? No, heaven wasn't empty. The heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain the Spirit of God. But God was specifically dwelling in a location, while at the same time He was still filling heaven and earth. Amen. In fact, I don't have this in the notes. Get your Bible. Go to John 3.13. I've got to bring this out just to prove it, and then I'm going to move on. I, I, I said all that just to lay my foundation to take you where I want to take you tonight. But John chapter 3 and verse number 13 Jesus makes a statement that is important for us to understand. John 3, you know the story. He's talking to Nicodemus. He is standing on terra firma. He's got his feet planted firmly on the earth while he's talking to Nicodemus. But he says in John 3 and 13, And no man hath ascended up to heaven, heaven, but he that came down from heaven, heaven, even the Son of Man, man which is in heaven, is present tense right now. Though you're looking at me, though you can put your hand on my feet and understand that the ground is right there, I want you to know something, Nicodemus. Though I am on this earth, I am also in heaven right at this very moment. Because the fullness of God was dwelling in Jesus. He was the dwelling place of God. Now, let's talk about that phrase for just a moment. God's dwelling place. You understand that the the great creator who has always been, who had no beginning. When he created this earth, when he said let there be, he had a goal. He had a plan. He had a design. He had a desire. God, God created a place where he could have communion with his creation. Are you with me? God didn't just create Adam and put him on a barren sphere. But God created a garden. And the Bible says that in the cool of the day, the voice of the Lord walked through the garden. I'm telling you, the Garden of Eden wasn't just a place for Adam and Eve to live. It was a place for God to dwell. It was a place for God to meet with His creation. Are you with me tonight? Are you, are you going to stay with me for a few minutes? Amen. He created this place. He created this garden. Amen. And it was a place where he could meet with man. And it was a place where he could commune with his creation. Right there in the Garden of Eden. But we know the story, don't we? And we know that sin broke that communion. And Adam and Eve were driven from the garden. And an angel of the flaming sword put at the entrance of the garden. So they could not get back in. And all of a sudden there is no dwelling place on earth for God to meet with man. Now it's many, many, many years later. Before the prophet Moses ascends the mountain. Begins to communicate with God. And one of the things that God tells Moses is when you get back down there, 
I want you to build a building. You still here? I want you to build a building. This building is going to be portable. You're going to be able to put it together and take it apart. Because we're not going to stay in one place. But I'm going to tell you this, Moses. You're going to be traveling for the next few years. But you're not going to travel alone. I'm going to be with you. That building is going to be the place where I meet with man. And I'm telling you, anybody, I don't care who they were, Jew or Gentile, all they had to do was look the direction of where the Israelites were. And if it was during the day, there was a pillar of cloud that signified, this is my house. This is my building. This is where I meet with my people. If it was at night, it was a pillar of fire. I'm telling you, God was testifying. I've got a place where I'm going to commune with my creation. So they would erect the tabernacle and they would take it down. They'd travel on. And then finally the day came that they possessed the land of promise. As we've been teaching here on Sunday mornings, uh, years again pass. And and, uh, the day comes that Solomon is the king. And Solomon has been directed by his father and by the prophet uh, that it's time not to use the old tent that Moses used, but It's time for there to be a permanent structure. We're not going to build a tabernacle. We're going to build a temple. This temple is going to be a place, again, where God is going to meet with man. And as we pointed out to you, when that temple was built and when it was dedicated... God so approved of what was going on that the glory of the Lord filled that house and the priests could not even do their job. Power of God was so strong and so rich that the priests could not do what they were supposed to do. God was heavy in that house. You hear me? Because God had a place to dwell again among His people. He had a place among His people. Now, as I've also pointed out in our Sunday morning lessons, and we haven't really dealt with this in detail yet, but the time comes, that that temple that Solomon built, as beautiful and significant as it was, was destroyed. That house was torn down. The children of Israel were taken off into captivity. Some to Assyria, some to Babylon. The end of their period of captivity, men like Nehemiah and Ezra and Zerubbabel, And others went back into the land of promise. Went back to that same mountain. Went back to that same place where the stones had been. And they built another building. The glory of God wasn't as strong this time. And I've preached about it here. The Bible says that at that time the old men wept while the young men shouted. The young men, this was the best they'd ever seen. They didn't remember the temple of Solomon. But the old men remembered what used to be and they knew this was nothing like that. But that temple too was destroyed. Many years later there was a third temple that was built. This one was called Herod's Temple. Same location, same spot. But other than one angelic visit 
We really don't find the glory of God ever appearing in Herod's temple. We really don't find the power of God filling that house. Are you hearing me? And you want to know why? Because God has moved on from a building. He started with a garden. And he went to a building. But the day came that God went beyond the building. And one night on the hills of Judea, as shepherds were watching their flocks, suddenly there appeared a heavenly host saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. He said, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. No more garden. No more building. God's got another dwelling place. And it's a body. It's not a place of ground that's got definite borders. It's not a set building that's got four walls. You don't have to get on your knees and look to the east because this dwelling place can come to you. This dwelling place has two hands and two feet. It's got a mouth and eyes. This dwelling place comes to where you're at. If you're poor, He'll find you. If you're you're hungry, He'll feed you. If you're sick, He'll heal you. Are you hearing me? God has got another dwelling place where He meets with His creation. We'll skip through a few verses here, brother. So just ride with me. Some historians say 33 and a half years that body walked on earth. But the day came, they crucified him. He was buried, and three days later rose victorious over death, hell, and the grave. Spent 40 days with his disciples, opening their understanding. Giving them last instructions. Led them out as far as to Bethany. And then he ascended up into heaven. What now? God has had a garden. But the garden is long gone. We don't even know where it's at. God has had a temple. But the temple is no more. God had a body, but the body has just ascended. What's going to happen now? Well, let me tell you. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I don't want you to read the whole verse. So just let me stop you at some point. We'll come back and finish the verse. But start reading 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. For we are laborers together together with with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Stop right there. You are God's husbandry. That word literally means you are God's garden. I'm telling you, God still has a garden. It's not the garden of Eden, but it's the garden of the church. And this is still where the voice of the Lord walks. 
This is still where God communes with His... Are you hearing me tonight? This is still where God communes with His people. This is the garden of God. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. When God wants to bear fruit in this world, He's got a garden to do it. Right? For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. The fruit, the fruit that comes out of God's garden. I'm telling you, when God wants to bear love in this world, He reaches down to His garden. And we bear the love to this world. Are you here? I hope you haven't quit already, church. I'm not near where I want to be yet. If God wants to bear some joy to this world, He's not going to send an angel to do it. He's got a garden right here. He's got a place right here. This is where the world is going to taste of the fruit of the Spirit. This is God's garden. But we didn't finish that verse. Go back to 1 Corinthians 3 and 9. We're laborers together with God. You're God's husbandry, God's garden. What else did He say? You're God's building. I'm telling you, God still has a building in this world. God doesn't need a tabernacle in the wilderness. God doesn't need a temple in Jerusalem. I'm telling you, God has thousands of temples all around the earth today. Amen. It's no longer necessary for us to figure out which way is Jerusalem. I'm telling you, God is more interested in the temples that are right here active today than He is the one that is yet to be built. I'm telling you, this is the plan of God for the moment. God's got a building in in this world. Now if you don't think that's what Paul's saying, let's just go a few verses down that chapter. 1 Corinthians 3.16, what did he say? Know ye not that know ye, ye are not the temple of that God. ye are the... You are the temple of God. And that the Spirit of God dwells in you. I'm trying to get across a point tonight, church. You are the house that God built. You are the place. You are the tabernacle. You are the temple for this world today. First Peter 2 and 5. Ye also as lively stones are built up as spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices Acceptable to God you, by Jesus Christ. As lively stones are built up a spiritual house. I'm telling you, that's our purpose as saints of God. It's not to do what we want to do, but it's to house the presence of God in this world. Amen. Well, I skipped one, didn't I? Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 20 to 22 read. And are built upon the foundation. This is, this is our temple. This is our t- Listen, listen, listen. Right now. Are, are you hearing me? Right now. In the plan of God. We've got a foundation. That is more important in the plan of God in this hour. Than the foundation in Jerusalem. 
Now I envy, I envy Brother Jim. I would love to go over there and see it. I'd love to be there. I'm not knocking that. But I'm just telling you right now in God's plan, let's quit worrying about what's going to happen after the trumpet sounds. Right now in the plan of God, there is a foundation that stands sure. And it's not stones that were brought to Solomon. But here's the foundation. You're built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. But we usually stop there. Read on. In whom all the building fitly framed the together. Building fitly framed together. Groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. temple in the Lord. In whom you in also whom are built together for together an together habitation, for habitation of God, God through the Spirit. Through the Spirit. I'm telling you. God is not dwelling in temples made with man's hands. God is dwelling in us. God started with a garden. And then he had a building. He still has a garden. He still has a building. But after the garden was gone. And the building was destroyed. He had a body. I said he had a body. Yes, sir. And he still has a body. Ephesians chapter 1. Verses 22 and 23. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all, all right, things all right. to now, the now, church. Now, hang on. Brother Josh, this is, I need you to put up both verses because we're not going to really catch the, the depth of what's being said here if we don't get them both. All right, he's put all things under his feet, talking about Christ, gave him to be the head over all things to the, what's the last word? What's the last word? To the church. Which is his body. Which is his body. Body. The church is his body. Amen. I'm telling you, even though Jesus Christ ascended and no longer walks throughout the world physically, there is a body that does. Amen. Oh, you're not getting this. I'm telling you, there's a body that still walks through this earth today. But he's not confined to one location. There's a body. Now, now, what was our text? Can, can you, I know this creates a problem, but put Colossians 2 and 9 back up there. Colossians 2 and 9. This is the one we stressed to you. This is the one we had you quote. Because there's a, there's a reason for it. I'm going somewhere. For in him, Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead. How? The fullness of the Godhead exists bodily in a body. The fullness of the Godhead. Now let's go back to our verses again in Ephesians. I just wanted to bring that to mind. But Ephesians chapter 1, put those two verses back up if you would. Verses 22 and 23. And let's look at it again. And he hath put all things under, all his, things feet, under his feet and gave him, gave to, be him to be the head over, over all, things all things to the church, to the church which, is his body. which is his body. Now look at this. The fullness the, of him. The what? 
Come on, somebody. The what? Now, why were you shouting so much when I was talking about the fullness of the Godhead in Christ? I'm telling you, the fullness of the Godhead still abides in His body. And I'm not talking about the body that ascended. I'm talking about the body that's still here. The fullness of the Godhead dwells in His body. Now, 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 hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. I want you to understand something. I'm not saying the fullness of the Godhead dwells in me. And I'm not saying the fullness of the Godhead dwells in you because I'm not the body. I'm a member of the body. The fullness of the Godhead dwelt in Jesus Christ individually. But it only dwells in us collectively. It's only when we are a body and not a bunch of individual members. But when we're a body, I'm telling you the same power. Oh, God, help me. Somehow help me to convince. They're not getting it, God. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I want you to understand something, church. When we come together, when we really become a body, the fullness of God dwells in us. None of us by ourselves are equal with Christ. But I'm telling you, when we're truly a body, when we're truly together, when we're truly one, I'm telling you, the same power that healed the blinded eyes, that opened the deaf ears, that raised the dead, that same power exists in His body today. Our problem is we have the Mary and Martha syndrome. If only Jesus were here, I'd get my healing. If Jesus were here, I'd get my prayer answered. Come on, would you be honest with me? If somehow the Lord Jesus materialized before our eyes and stood in this house tonight, would you have any doubt That whatever is plaguing you would be taken care of. Well, can I tell you something? His body is in the house. The potential is here. The problem is we got to come together. When we come together, we make up the body. We're not an arm over here and a leg over there, but we come together. And when we are the body, the fullness of God starts to operate. Jesus went everywhere with a choice. I can act as a man or I can act as God. I can speak as a man or I can speak as God. And I'm telling you, we are faced with the same choice every day from the time we get up to the time we go to bed. We ask ourselves, when we go on to the job, am I acting like me, like a man, like my carnality, or am I functioning in the body? 
What am I doing today? Where am I at? Where's my, where are we at at church tonight? Some of you are on the job. Some of you are paying bills. Some of you are clipping your fingernails. Some of you are worried about tomorrow. Some of you are thinking about the dishes that you left undone. Some of you are getting hungry. I'm just preaching to you tonight. But if we ever get together, if we re- if we would quit being so scattered in our thoughts uh, and scattered in our purpose uh, and scattered in our function uh, and truly become one uh, as the body of Christ, uh, I am here to declare to you the fullness uh, of the Godhead uh, still operates in His body. Listen, listen, listen. From, from the earliest days of humanity, there has been something that has been difficult for us in our nature about worshiping God. That is, we live in the realm of our five senses. And we are asked to believe in to obey, to love, and to worship a God we cannot see or touch physically. And that's why, that's why the world from almost the beginning has turned to idolatry. Because they wanted a God they could see and touch. Now please hear me tonight. Understand what I'm saying to you. One of the reasons why Jesus was so effective in his ministry is because the world, for a brief period of time, had a God they could see and touch. The world today is still looking for a God they can see and touch. Let's give them one. Let's give them one. I can't do it by myself. I'm not God by myself. But if I'm linked up with my brothers and I'm linked up with my sisters, I'm telling you, they can have a God they can see and touch and know He's here. He's in this place. He's dwelling here. This is where God is at. They're not going to get it when our minds are scattered. When we're thinking about everything else. They're not going to get it when we're divided. When we're fussing one with another. They're not going to get it. But if we'll come together. If we'll become one. I'm telling you the fullness of God. will work in His body again. Ephesians 4. Verse 13. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Till we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Unto a perfect man. Unto a perfect man. Under the measure of the stature the of the fullness of Christ. Of the stature of the Fullness of Christ. We understand Christ, the humanity. 
This is why it was important for me to teach what I did in the beginning. Christ, the humanity. Christ, the man. The man in whom the fullness dwelt. The Bible says that's what we're aiming for. We're not trying to be God. We'll never be God. I don't care how many uh, folks there are out there, amen, and out there and wherever else that are teaching we will become gods. I'm, I'm telling you, that's not the case. We'll never be God, but we can strive to come together to the place that we grow together unto the measure of the stature of the fullness, not of God, but of the man, of the man in whom all the fullness of the Godhead, this is what happened. When we come into the unity of the faith, when we really get together, when we really come together, the power of God starts operating in our midst. All right, I got to hurry. Ephesians 3 and 20, I've preached this. I've preached this to this church time and again. I've preached it all over the country. One of my favorite verses on faith, Ephesians 3 and 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding exceeding abundantly abundantly above above all that we ask or think think. according to the power. Hang on, hang on, hang on. We know, we understand, this church better understand what it means when it says he can do exceeding abundantly above whatever you can ask or think. If you can ask it or think it, God can do it. But he can not only do what you ask or think, he can do above that. But he can not only do above what you can ask or think, he can do abundantly above what you can ask or think. But that's not all either. My God, God is able to do exceeding abundantly above what you ask or think. But how does He do it? He doesn't do it according to the power that falls from heaven. He does it according to the power that worketh in His body. Telling you the thing... That will cause needs to be met. And miracles to take place. And our city to be turned upside down. Is the power that's working in us as a body. Not in a God that's a million miles away. That we have to beg and plead to come down here. But I'm telling you if our hearts and our minds and our spirits are united with the rest of the body. The fullness of the Godhead is dwelling in us. My old pastor, Elder Davis, was a man of great faith. I'm telling you, I've, I've watched tremendous miracles performed as a result of his prayers. I could be here all night telling you stories of things that happened. Literally, literally one night, a man walking into service one leg several inches short of the other. Had to wear a leg brace just to be able to stand and try to function. And, and Brother Davis prayed for him. He pulled the brace off and the church watched that leg grow to the length of the other one. Miracles. The dead raised. Things happened. But can I tell you, I've also sat in services where the same man preached literally the same sermons did the same thing, anointed people with oil and prayed for them, and nothing happened. But I'm here to tell you, in our home church, when he prayed, things took place. 
And I got to thinking about that, Brother Merriman. What's the difference? It's the same man. It's not that he was praying any less. It wasn't that he'd lost the favor of God. Same man, same faith, same sermons. Literally, sometimes I'd hear him preach the same message, do the same thing. And some places he'd go and there would just be... We had a service one night in South Texas. Eight people, eight people that night received the Holy Ghost in one service. And it wasn't a very large church. That, I mean, that was quite a deal. Um, I, I know of a place where he went to preach where it had been 30 years since anybody received the Holy Ghost in that church. 30 years nobody had prayed through. He went there and the first night prayed a man through that had been praying for the Holy Ghost for 30 years. And that night prayed 30-something men through to the Holy Ghost in, in a one week's time. But yet I saw him go places and nobody get the Holy Ghost. Nobody get their healing. Nothing happened. And I wondered about it. And I thought about it. I said, what is the difference? And then I began to think back to my home church and why we saw so many miracles there. And there was just something that went on in that church that I watched it. And, and, and honestly, I mean, they weren't a perfect people. There, there is no church that's full of perfect people. You've heard the old saying, if you find one, don't join it because you'll mess up their record. Uh, they, they, they had their issues. They had their problems. I'm telling you, sometimes, literally, there were times that a good chunk of the church would just come in whenever they wanted to come in. They'd leave when they were ready to leave. And there were times that people are praying and things are going on and they're sitting back in the pews talking. I mean, it's what goes on at Pentecostal churches. Are you hearing me? But I'm going to tell you something. Something happened. If they ever saw Elder Davis, he'd be down here praying with folks or praying. If they ever saw him walk back to the pulpit and grab the bottle of oil, I watched him. All over the church, there was a transformation. All over that congregation, if somebody wasn't paying attention, they'd punch their neighbor and say, Hey, he's got the oil. Something's about to happen. Pastor's got the oil. And I'm telling you, Brother Merriman, as the Lord began to remind me of that, what was going on is during the rest of the time of that service, people were just being people. They were acting as men. They were acting as humans. But at that moment, suddenly something happened. And everybody got focused on the same thing. And the whole church came together in mind and spirit. What was it that brought about Pentecost? When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one mind. I'm telling you, something happened. And when the people got to a place that they were with one mind, and they were all focused on the same thing, it wasn't the man, and it wasn't the oil. It was the fact that the church became the body. And when the body's there, the fullness of God is in operation. Well, Sister Riggin, come. Hallelujah. I told you the Lord gave me this message many years ago. I preached this to the church I was pastoring in Colorado. So that's been, 
My wife reminded me today, close to 20 years ago. I didn't realize it had been that long, but it has been. But I'll never forget preaching it to that church that night. We had already had some folks that night that had come down during the service. We'd had a good time of worship. We had some folks that had come down for the Holy Ghost. We had a man there with his arm in a sling. He'd, he'd messed it up, couldn't, couldn't move it, couldn't raise it. He just had to wear it in a sling. And he'd come down for prayer and went back to his pew just the same. Nothing real. I mean, we were having a good worship service, you understand? But that's all. And I preached the message to the church that night. And I said, church, if we'll function as the body, the fullness of God will work in us just like it worked in Jesus Christ. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? Please don't misunderstand me. Don't you dare walk out of here and saying, saying that I said we're all a little Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. By myself, I can't do one thing. But if we'll get together as the body, we can accomplish the purpose of God on the face of the earth. I told the church that night. So I called everybody down to the front. I said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to do things differently tonight. Go ahead and play I said, we're going to do things a little differently tonight. I said, I don't want, I don't want anybody doing their own thing right now. We're going to pray a collective prayer. We've got somebody here that needs the Holy Ghost, wants the Holy Ghost. And we're going to pray together right now. I don't want you praying about any other need. I don't want you asking God for anything else. If you've got the Holy Ghost, I don't want you looking at your watch. I don't want you trying to balance your checkbook. I don't want you doing anything else right now. If you're here and you're a part of this church, I want everybody doing the same thing. And that is we're going to pray for God to fill this person with the Holy Ghost. We're going to pray together as a body for one thing. And I tell you, I didn't even have to leave the platform. The church lifted its voice in unison, praying and asking God, fill them with the Holy Ghost. And I'm telling you, from where I stood, I could hear them as they began to speak in other tongues, as the power of God fell on them. When we got through rejoicing over that, I said, we've got a man here, his arms all messed up. He wants healing. We're not going to pray for people to get the Holy Ghost right now. As a body, we're going to pray for healing to come into this house. As a body, we're going to ask God to heal this man. I'm, you know you know where I'm headed. It happened. I'm telling you, as we prayed a unified prayer, everybody together, nobody doing their own thing, nobody sitting on the pew playing with a baby, nobody talking and laughing and cutting up, nobody trying to send text messages, but everybody that had the Holy Ghost was praying for one thing, God heal this man right now. And I'm telling you, I didn't even lay hands on him. All of a sudden, that arm came out of the sling and he raised it to, to heaven as God instantly healed him. I'm telling you, it's not me, church. It's us. It's the body. If we'll be the body, the fullness of God will work through us. This is why. This is why. We see 
so many results. We spend that time on Tuesday night praying about everything imaginable, and we need those times. We can't all pray in unison all day, every day. We need those times when we're talking to God about our own needs. But this is why at the conclusion of that time, I take the time to take individual requests. And we don't lump them all together. But we take one need before God. Church, how many times have we seen God answer that prayer? We, we, you know, we've prayed and prayed and prayed. But that night... When we prayed together as a body. How many of those prayers. Can I get a witness? How many of those prayers have we seen God answer? Put your hand up if you've seen God answer some of those prayers. We know God does it when we do it as a body. This is what God is trying to convey to us. Let's stand, everybody. Let's stand. This is what God is wanting to convey to this church tonight. I'm telling you, God wants His fullness operating in this city. God wants His fullness operating. Amen. Throughout this metro area, God wants us to lay aside our petty differences, our little grievances, our little nitpicking. Amen. Pity any things. God wants us to realize I can't make it without you and you can't make it without me. we got to have one another. We're a part of the body. we got to function together. Amen. We're not going to get anything done trying to do it by ourselves. But if we'll work together, there's not a devil in hell that can stop us from accomplishing what God wants done. I'm telling you. On the shores of Gadara, a man possessed with at least 2,000 demons. At least. I don't know how many demons were in him. They just said a legion. Now I know men that have tried to tie that to a military term and tried to figure out numbers, but I'm just telling you this. I just look at the Bible and take it at face value. There were 2,000 pigs feeding there. And every pig got a devil in it. And the devil didn't split itself among pigs. So there had to be a minimum of one devil per pig. So there were at least 2,000 demon spirits living in this one man. But when the fullness of God set foot on the shores of Gadara, 2,000 demons couldn't stop the man from running and kneeling at the feet of the fullness of God. Don't tell me my loved ones are too bound. They're they're too steeped in their tradition. Don't tell me there's a reason why they can't come to God. I'm telling you the reason. we got to become a body. If we'll become a body, anybody that walks through those doors is going to feel the tug of the Holy Ghost. There's not going to be a devil that can stop them from coming to the altar. It will become the body. I don't care what they're bound by. I don't care what they're obsessed with. I don't care if they're possessed. The devil can't stop them if they want freedom, if they want deliverance, but only if we are a body.
don't understand the damage we're doing to the plan of God when we come to church and allow our minds to be sidetracked. You know, that's that really the devil doesn't even have to get us fighting with one another. He really doesn't. We we can have perfect harmony, love one another, not anybody have a problem with anybody, and still not get the plan of God done. If we come to church and balance our checkbook and worry about whether we're going to get fired tomorrow. Or wonder who's going out to eat with who. And our minds are distracted and our thoughts are wandering. And the song leader or the pastor is up here saying, come on church, let's worship, let's worship. And you're sitting there and you're looking at your watch and you're digging through your purse and thumbing through your Bible. That's, that's all it takes. It doesn't take bickering and backbiting to keep the will of God from being done. All it takes is for us to not be together. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all, all, they were all. Took them about seven days to get there. Praying, fasting, seeking God. But when the moment came that they were all in one accord, suddenly there came a sound from heaven. Are you hearing me? I'm telling you. What would it be tonight if Jesus Christ were standing here? What would happen tonight in your life if He were here right now? If it wasn't just me, the preacher you've looked at and listened to for more than a decade now. What if it wasn't me? What if it was him? Would you go home sick? Would you go home discouraged? Would you go home with problems if it was Jesus that was here? I don't think so. I mean, what I read about Jesus going into a place, the Bible said He healed him everyone. He healed him everyone. You know, he. I mean, there were people that came and said, we want to follow you, and he talked pretty stern to them and told one man, go and sell what you have. But I don't ever find anybody coming to him with a need that he said, I'm not going to meet it. The closest we get is the woman that was not Jewish. But he never did really tell her no. He tested her faith a little bit, but he gave her what she wanted. He's all about meeting needs. But I'm telling you, there is no difference in the quantity and the power that's available to the church if we'll be the church and not just be saved saints. Oh, God, help me to get this across tonight. I'm telling you right here tonight, there is no telling what God would do. It's Thursday night. It's not Sunday night. We came in tonight. Some of us planning to just coast through service. But I'm telling you, if we could really get together in the next few minutes, 
there's no telling what God would do around here. Have I preached the word tonight? Have I preached? Have I told you the truth tonight? Doesn't the Bible say He will confirm His word with signs following? Doesn't God go about doing that? If I'm just making up ideas and throwing out opinions, that's one thing. But I preach the Word tonight. I'm telling you, we can see the fullness of God in operation if we'll come together. I can't. I can't lasso your minds. I can't hog tie your brains. I can't super glue your thoughts. All I can do is tell you what needs to be done. And somehow every one of us that are a part of this body is going to have to make up our minds individually that we're going to operate collectively. You got to decide it. You got to make the choice. But if you'll choose, I don't want to just act like a man. There's there's times to just get in the boat and ride. There's times to go find a pillow and go to sleep. There's times to act like a man. But there's other times we need to act like the body. We need to function as the body. I want to tell you, one of those times is when we come to church. Right now, church, right now. Some of you are still struggling with your thoughts. Some of you still got your minds wandering. I'm saying let's come together. Come on, let's come together. I want the fullness of God to operate in this place. I want the power of God to move through this place. I want to see healings. I want to see victories. I want to see deliverance. Come on, church. Come on, church. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on. The wind of the Holy 
Ghost could blow into this house tonight. The power of God could sweep across this auditorium tonight. Lives could be transformed tonight. Come on, church. Some of us still don't have our minds together. Some of us still just hoping we'll go ahead and dismiss. Oh, God, help us, help us, help us, help us. We got to come together. We got to get together. Oh, 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 oh. Jesus, 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 Jesus. 
Hallelujah, hallelujah. Tell if you need the Holy Ghost tonight, you can get it right now. If you want healing tonight, you can get it right now. The fullness of God is available. If we'll just tap in. If we'll just bring our thoughts together. Unite our hearts together right now. The fullness of God can operate in this house. Tonight. Oh, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come on, come on. We're not, God's not finished just yet. Let's not quit too soon. Let's not stop too soon. God, 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 God. Hallelujah. Come on, let's praise Him one more time. Everybody. All across this house, let's praise him one more time. Let's magnify him. I love you, Jesus. I thank you, God. I thank you, God. I thank you, God. Praise God. Praise God. 